You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life and home, as well as give you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created a safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you, bringing you clarity and solution with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have Lori Bodino, who is a clinician, clinical psychologist. I will let her tell us more because her her, her bio is, is extensive. But why I'm excited to talk to Lori today is about this idea of the whole child and understanding our body, but especially movement and dance. And that's what intrigued me about wanting to know more uh, about your work. So, Lori, thank you so much for making the time to be with us today and welcome. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Lori Vadino, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist and a board-certified dance movement therapist, and I'm also a parent of two. I always have to add that in, that I'm right there along with all of you listening. And, um, you know, I look at the whole child, this lens of understanding from the bottom up how we experience psychological and emotional health through the body. I work in private practice with little ones all the way up to 18 And um, I also go to homes. I work and collaborate with parents all the time and teachers, educators. And I've also worked at pediatric hospitals with children with um, chronic and uh, cancers and special needs over the years. And um, I'm always just advocating for this work, this mental health work by looking at the whole body. Beautiful. And I I love the way you, you know, you talk about movement because I know for me, you know, being a grown adult, like movement is my mental health uh, medicine, right? When I'm working out uh, regularly, when I can go on my walks and all of this, I always feel much better. And children, children are no different. And to me, one thing that has always kind of intrigued me is this notion that we 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 tell children to to sit still and to stop fidgeting and moving when you and I know that movement is like critical to their well-being and that asking them to sit still is pure torture. So I- Absolutely. I and mean, we have endless research on how our brain integrates information by movement, moving. So, um, and you know, what parent or adult is actually sitting still at any point? I, I published a book several years ago about airplane travel with children. And it's this parallel of taking, you know, parenting and child development to new heights. And just really thinking about how when there's a sphere of like sitting still on the plane is, is a, you know, a, a big emphasis or sitting still in the school classroom, but there's so many ways we can move. Our, when I talk about dance and movement, it's it's gestures, it's facial expressions, it's even tensing and releasing muscles, it's little eye flickers, it's your heartbeat, it's your breath. So movement is always happening and it's always available. We might not be able to move with big jumping motions, but we can always move. 
Beautiful. Beautiful. And I just want to go back one step because one of my first question always with my guest is what is your definition of the art of parenting? Mm, I love that. Well, when I think of the art of parenting, I support parents to understand that parenting can be predictable. So it's, it's being an observer and it's being ready to be curious and engage and take this journey with our children. There are little gurus, so they share and teach us so much. So the art is about taking away that confusion and that regret or resentment and those why questions that we ask, like, why are you acting that way? And really shifting it into like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, you've been explaining this to me and I've been experiencing this with you since you were in, my, in the womb. Um, since, you know, before you came into this body. So really it becomes predictable. And then it, that, that upset and that frustration tension drifts away and we get to really join our child and really see them for who they are versus trying to change or squash those feelings that they're having. Beautiful. Yes. And so true. And, and I love that you say, you know, to be an observer, because for me, that is, that is one of the best tools that we have is to be able to be uh, what Dr. Montessori often referred to as being a scientific observer. So really that, that observer with, you know, without wanting to, to compare or judge and, and so forth. Um, can, can you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Like how parents can learn to be that true observer to, to really be able to see the whole child? Absolutely. Well, First and foremost, from the time they're in our, in our bellies, if those of you that had that opportunity as uh, birthing a child, um, you've got nine months to really get to know those patterns you're experiencing, cravings, how you're moving, how, what you're enjoying, those emotional changes and shifts. To me, there's is absolutely a parallel to what you're experiencing throughout those nine months. And even in that birthing process, these kids come into the world exactly who they are. You know, the kid that flies out or the kid that takes a little longer and stuck, the child that, you know, has different birthing, their birth story really tells a lot about them. So that that's kind of interesting. That's one of my intake questions is always to learn more about the birth process. And then also, um, you know, as we, we are seeing our children, I call it um, our true temperature check. It's really looking at the body. So how your child moves through the world, what is their body? How's their stance? Um, you know, how are they slumped over? Are they kid that like really presents themselves when they walk in a room? How are they, are they quick? Are they more sustained or slow? So really being an observer of how they're moving through the world, facial expressions, gestures, that becomes predictable. You know, oh, I have a kid that kind of is on the outskirts. You can actually picture them, right? Or I have a kid who walks in a room and barrels through it, right? So what do they actually look like physically, how they move? And if you could imagine playing charades, I bet all the parent, us parents could imitate our children, how they kind of move about. And that gives us a really great understanding because then when there's a shift in their emotional state, um, they, we see a change, right? You can even imagine it in yourself. You see a change when you're feeling really inspired and in that flow versus when you feel a sense of tension or rigidity or if there's a state of chaos, confusion, right? Our bodies change. So that's how we can start to feel, see things as predictable, how our child's interacting with their world. And then we can add on language and other predictable elements as well. Right. So, so there's one thing about movement that, that kind of came up when you were describing that is I have a vivid memory of my mother uh, 
wanting me to do classical ballet mm-hmm. because that would I would move with more elegance, right? So I feel like there there's there's definitely that natural movement that we all have, and and I guess it almost sounds like it's it's a movement temperament that you were talking. But there's also a learn movement, right? Because like you you can you can totally tell a, a gymnast or a ballet dancer or or you know somebody who's been doing sports they move differently so there is a, a learn part of it as well correct yeah there certainly can be um, and even certain etiquettes of how we move in certain environments versus other environments uh, the the beautiful thing about children and, and and the body is that it's an innate way of communication it's it's crosses all language um, levels, all social economic class, all gender diversity, um, everyone is a mover. And when we get that baseline, it's not about saying, oh, there's a certain way to move or that that's something wrong about it, but just to get that baseline of who your child is from the beginning so that you can then see those shifts over time and notice those patterns as they're interacting in the world. And like you said, there, there are certain learned skills as you as a child develops into like a task or a hobby. Um, But just as they're walking into the room, this is a lens that, you know, as a clinical psychologist, you can see in their body, there's a parallel process between their psychological and emotional expression and what's going on. So in dance movement therapy, we see it as if there is a child who has a more rigid profile, um, maybe we see this as certain pathologies, you'll see that tension in their body, more one dimensional way of moving, more um, directness or quickness. Versus a child who you, we might put on the other side of the scale, that chaotic profile, um, disorganization looks like something different. And then we're all looking for that integration. So we see that the children and adults that are healthy um, and thriving, they have this more adaptive way of moving, meaning that there's a flexibility, not necessarily flexibility like they can do the splits, but flexibility in terms of like they can move quick, they can move slow, they can move direct to one object, they can take in space, they can use weight and strength when they need to, to force something through, or they can use lightness and intentionality. So, and I'm saying these words, and then there's this parallel to how we interact and socially, how we do academically, so that, that we really understand the whole child. Right. Right. And to me, it's interesting how, how you're, you're saying that because there, there's like flashbacks of, you know, observing my own children of how they moved before they walked. Right. There, there's some crawlers. There's some army crawlers. I remember my son, he would roll <laughs> from one side of the room to the other. And it was fascinating. I mean, he got to where he needed to go, but it was his his way of, of, of getting there. Um, so, so yes, it, it's fascinating and it's true. Like I see even, you know, today as a, as a grown adult, um, I go on a walk with a, a girlfriend of mine, a neighbor, and I'm walking towards her house. She can always tell like what's going on by just how I approach. Right. And she says, what's, what's up? What's, what's yeah. going on just by <laughs> how I'm, I'm walking. So it is fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. So I'm really intrigued by, um, when you say that you use dance to like as therapy, because I know you have a, a master's in creative art therapy, what, what does that actually look like? Like, how do you, how do you work with children and family using uh, dance? 
So the field itself, um, dance movement therapy, depending on who you talk to, you might get a bunch of different different answers. For me, I see dance movement therapy as one and the same as psychotherapy. Uh, it is a psychotherapeutic use of movement to further the social, physical, cognitive, uh, and what did I miss there? <laughs> Mental integration of the whole child. So what it looks like is anything from as simple as just my observation skills when I'm sitting in a room and a child walks in with their parents and we're talking about anxiety or we're talking about attentional uh, differences or neurodivergent child trauma, looking at how they're they're interacting, where they're sitting, their posture. So it's, it could be an observation. It can look like mindfulness and understanding awareness and relaxation techniques. And then it also can look very play-based. It could be how we play a, a, anything from a board game to using dolls and pretend play, like you might see in theraplay or play therapy approach. And then as as this lens, um, dance, again, is, is more about this back and forth. Um, you actually could take the word dance and it's an acronym for understanding that differentiated parts, those different movements. If we attach them together, we narrate what we see. We bring the experience to consciousness. That's that C. And then we have empathic engagement. So this dance is this back and forth that's constantly happening in these interactions. And there are techniques, lots of different play-based techniques. So um, I like to say this idea of if we if we know an example might be being assertive, we can talk about it, we can read about it, uh, we might see someone else being assertive. But until you embody it and really walk up and say, "Excuse me, that's my order, that's my my coffee," there, um, you we don't really know how to be assertive. So. In dance movement therapy, this creative art expression is about really embodying these experiences, um, putting, making something that can feel uncontrollable, giving the child a chance to be the leader and control their own bodies, because really they're the only ones in charge of their own bodies and how it moves, to help them understand and observe how their body posture or how they move through the world impacts their environment, impacts others that they have this internal um, interception, this experience inside their body of movement. It also incorporates the sensory integration, so how the world around them impacts their body and vice versa. And then it's really, again, that that back and forth, taking their experiences that are happening psychologically or mentally and really helping them explore them in a creative way. So we might put on music and move around. We might have a parallel process where, um, I, I like I mentioned, I spent years working in the hospital, children with cancer. We might be exploring using movement to, to take a journey somewhere. And every time, it's so fascinating, but every time they start to move and it looks very like, you know, like a drama therapy or movement based, it's, it's dance. Um, all of a sudden they're moving and they're stuck and they're sifting through the weeds. And all of a sudden there's that parallel of what they're experiencing at the hospital of their hospitalization and their treatment. So movement is a really beautiful way of like, it's sometimes hard to put words to something. We have all these defenses and patterns of, of how our words are um, protecting us, but our body doesn't lie. So that gives an opportunity to really express what's going on. And of course, we are talking along the way. We are concluding with a conversation or insight. Um, I might be giving feedback of strategies and, and language and semantics are so important, but it's always coming back to the body. So we're not just lecturing and teaching, but really embodying the, the experience. Right. And, and that's, that's beautiful because it's true that, that, you know, there's this notion that 
the body keeps the score, right? We, 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 we have aches and pains that are oftentimes just, you know, trauma or things that we've experienced and, and so forth. And so do, are you dancing with the children at times or? Is- I certainly can. Um, I'm not teaching them dance. Like I'm not teaching them ballet or tap. But I, I will be joining them. I move with them. I often encourage, because I'm always working with parents, parent and child to move together. We might be doing regression works or they're going back to that birthing experience or these younger ages. Um, they might be just like passing the movement around. So child gets to see what it's like to feel in control and the parent has to follow their way, which could be really challenging. And seeing that parent try to take over or is it okay for them to let go? Can the child follow the parent? Um, is how does that work? You know, and that's that parallel experience of like, how does that partnership and relationship work at home? Uh, so there's lots of really fun techniques. Um, and then, you know, again, like sometimes it is that true form of sitting and, and talking, but it's really helping the parent and child understand those triggers, what's happening in the body before you're having this experience, um, not just looking to stop the adaptive response, but to understand where it comes from. And to see that, you know, I tend to shift away from labels and really look at everything as movement. So it's not a behavior, it's just a movement. You know, if we if we talk about aggression, we're talking about someone that's moving quick and strong and direct, right? That punch. And if you acknowledge it like that, they're not aggressive. They're just moving in that way. And then they could see what that looks like and shift it. Another fun example is like, you know, the adolescent or when you pick up a kid from school, parents often say like, my child doesn't talk or I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what my adolescent's thinking or saying they don't talk, but they're always talking. It might be non-verbally. So I've had kids sit in this office and they're picking their fingers and ripping apart their shirt while their parents talking to them about something and the parents saying, see, they're not talking. And I'll say, check out what they're doing with their hands. What is that? What is that about? I see a lot of picking happening. Is that maybe the feeling that's going on? And the child will say, yeah, I feel picked on. And they've been showing it while they're sitting there for the past 20 minutes, right. but no one noticed it, right? So right. it could be as little, you know, as simple as that, those little subtle moments. And it's not to overanalyze, but just to bring a, an extra lens to it. Right, right. And it goes back to to what you, you know, mentioned earlier is just observing and it's just, it's just really noticing without judgment, without labeling. It's just take notice of what's going on. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Now, what, um, what do you recommend for, for parents, you know, maybe parents of, of younger children who maybe aren't talking so much, aren't, you know, maybe in pre-verbal and such, or even, you know, or even the adolescent that doesn't want to be bothered talking uh, with the adults. Like, what are some kind of fun movement ideas that we can do at home? So, uh, you know, I have, my, my mind lights up, <laughs> bright lights with all the different ideas, but, yeah. you know, first and foremost, and it's going to sound so simple, and hopefully all that anyone listening might already be doing this and not necessarily noticing, we have these uh, ways of connecting. If you, if you notice it, it's easier to notice with like a really good friend. If you have a good friend in your life and you go out to lunch, like you said, when you go on a walk with your friend, you start to notice you move similarly. You might sit casually, both with legs up or arms open, right? We, we kind of mirror one another. So really considering, you know, I say quality over quantity. It's not hours of this. This might be just like a moment, it might be less than two minutes uh, where you're just joining your child sitting the way they are, really emulate their posture, 
Really see if your face matches their face. See if your shoulders are relaxed when you greet them or if they're stiffened or if notice if you're like standing over them or if you're kind of matching. So so if we just take a few moments when we see our child and, and kind of maybe lessen the words and just be in that moment, it's incredible what will open up. And then you know, with the littler ones, especially really following their lead. We talk about that in a lot of developmental approaches and therapists, psychologists that work with children, joining them in their ideas through movement. It just means, you know, they're rolling a car, let's say, and you take a car and you roll it too, right? Or they're setting up a toy and you set up a toy too. And that's that first initial parallel play. And then they initiate something and then you try it on. And then eventually you see if they'll follow yours, right? But there's that back and forth. And then, you know, it's so I love that there's, to me, a a complete match between the three-year-olds and our 13-year-olds or our teenagers. We kind of relive that the child is a young adolescent at that younger age, and then they become the adolescent as they get older. But there's there's a very similar pattern that happens. And so if you imagine an adolescent sitting in their room, maybe they're on technology, maybe they're listening to music, and you just go and sit with them. You don't have an expectation of telling them what to do or, you know, what you want, you know, your expectation, but just really joining them. That's what that's really opens those doors to communication. And we're talking we're talking moments. We're not talking you have to sit there forever or feel like it's only their way. But it's, it's just really understanding how they're moving. Right, right. And, and, you know, again, I just, I, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I just love the way that you're, you, you keep on emphasis of just being, right, of just being in that, in that mode of observation and, and noticing. And you said something also earlier that I wanted to, to go back on is how we can help our children understand the, the wisdom of their bodies, right, of how, when when something is upsetting like we do feel it in our bodies and and for them to be aware of that i think is is so important i know for for the work that i do i help children kind of be aware of that and then create a space for them to be able to take care of themselves so really to to learn that you know self-regulation and self-care early on mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that like how we can help children really be aware of, of, you know, what their body is telling them. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of my own children. I remember my son being about two and a half, three years old, and he was talking about his, his gut brain. <laughs> that was, you know, very early on talking to him about these three brains. You've got the one in your head, the one in your heart and one in your gut, um, you know, that belly of ours and how it can give us information. And so I remember my son putting his hands to his belly and saying, I'm thinking my belly feels comfortable, <laughs> you know, really, really checking in with that body. And so it, I think it, it does start with educating children about this, this gut brain of theirs and how it sends messages up to the brain in your head um, and how there's this connection between your belly and your head and, and that we feel things, right? We have these sayings, you've got butterflies in your belly, your stomach, or you've got that gut feeling, right? So really helping them um, that polyvagal theory and polyvagal work is really important, whether you're doing humming with your child, you're doing um, Wim Hof kind of cold plunges and 
getting the nervous system adjusted to cold, whether you are gargling water, you're singing songs, really, really realizing that we can work this this body of ours and, and help it to navigate stressors um, is one way that we want to bring attention to it. And then also just helping our children know that you know, one of my biggest crusades right now, we keep talking in our world about this mental health crisis. And I, I kind of side, side talk and say that, you know, there's, this mental health has been always something, um, but now we're paying attention to it, which is great, but it's also rearing its, you know, big head saying, hey, there are emotions happening in our bodies and experiences. And that we are supposed to be feeling moving beings, that having a sensation in our bodies of sweaty palms, racing heart, um, redness, um, loss of breath, you know, we might call that anxiety. But if we just look at it, all those symptoms, right, if we just look at all those movements, all those sensations, they just are what they are, because we are living. Alternatively, we would be a robot or a rock. But we are supposed to have these feelings. Um, and I would love for children to know that they're supposed to. It, it's, a, it's, it's part of being alive. Um, we don't have to get rid of them. And the, the greatest thing is once we feel them, they actually do dissipate. Feelings are transient. They come in and then they go out. They shift all the time. So they're not as scary as we might make them out to be when we label them as a disorder or disease. Um, and that's not to minimize it in any way, but just that, you know, if we accept ourselves as these feeling beings, I, I imagine children would be less, you know, overwhelmed by, oh, I'm having a feeling. That they'd say, of course, I'm having a feeling. Right. And that, and that, I think, you know, children are so much in the present moment, at least, at least the younger children for me are just, you know, like you said earlier, there, there are little gurus. And, um, but I think that, that it's the adult that often gets in the way of them, you know, honoring the feeling, honoring the movement and, and all of that, because we tend to label it or we tend to discard it. Oh, you know, oh, don't be, don't be silly. You know, you don't need to be sad or, or whatever. So I think it's really, for me, I mean, and, and I'm sorry, all our listeners, but <laughs> it, it, it's so much a work on, on us and, and maybe that the inner child of, you know, of, are of who we are today that was told to you know not feel so much and pull it and together yeah. exactly you know but it, as I often say and it's you know you were saying about mental health to me you know parenting and 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 the work that you do as a as a psychologist is evolving right we're we're, we're learning so much uh on the brain on emotions on everything you know every day that that we we you know, your line of work is evolving, parenting is evolving. And, and, you know, I just, the next generation is going to be, you know, have so many tools and, and they will evolve too. So wonderful. Now, now, one thing I just wanted to go back, you mentioned a polyvagal theory. Mm. Can you can you kind of dissect that a little bit for us? What, what is that exactly? Yeah, so um, the polyvagal work, um, Stephen Porges is a big name that comes up in his work and research about the polyvagal. Um, it's a collection of, of these concepts from neuroscience, and it's talking about the role pertaining to the vagus nerve and our emotional regulation. And what, what is the vagus nerve? 
the, the vagus nerve runs. Um, I, I tell children, um, forgive me, I'm not a neuroscientist. So, I, you know, I, I call it like it looks like a straw. <laughs> um, it does it. It's, it's a nerve, but it runs from the gut and it actually runs through the belly all the way through the lungs, which affect our breathing, right? All the way through past our heart, which affects our our liveliness in our life and goes up through our throat. Um, it connects into our ears. It connects all the way through our nose and nasal passage all the way up to the brain. So if you can imagine that journey that that nerve takes and runs through the body and how many influences are impacted along the way, um, that nerve really um, sends messages. And actually, um, this is from like nine, this, um, you know, it's been researched for, for a long time now. Um, I was going to say like in 94 or something, um, but it's, it's about this social connection to fear response. So it helps, it detects our body. It helps our body understand threat or safety. And every single moment throughout our lives, we're detecting threat or safety. We go towards things that are safe. We kind of pull back from something that's threatening. Um, and this vagal nerve sends messages. Actually more information goes to our brain than our brain down to our belly. Uh, and if we, again, I don't want to misquote anything, but we understand in science that actually our dopamine levels, which is our reward receptors saying like more, more, more. If you think about sugar and technology, our children have these receptors in their body. There's actually more of them in our gut, in our belly than in our actually upstairs brain. Um, and there's also serotonin, which makes us feel happy, crave, you know, socialization and engagement and, and love and, and support. So if that's all happening in our belly and it has to be sent up to our brain, it shows us how important the body is. Right. And then there's fun techniques that we can help that nerve get information. Because if you imagine when we get into that, um, we call it the sympathetic nervous system, that that arousal system, um, we're seeking things out. Um, but we want to also be able to come back to rest and digest, which is that parasympathetic, which is what our body does in that regulation place. So our body is constantly working in those two areas, um, and there's wonderful ways through auditory listening. Um, I love binaural beats, listening to sound waves for hertz and frequencies, but also, like I've been mentioning, this body work, really understanding how the body communicates and feels and experiences the world. Thank you, thank you, because I've been I've been hearing you know I've been hearing this this term come up a lot and and. You mentioning it was like okay, I want to I want to know more. So thank you for that. Of course, and as you can imagine, that that's a quick inversion. I know there's a of lot course, more. Of course, yeah. <laughs> now, one thing that I, I I that comes up, I know, in questions that I get from uh, parents and, and listeners is this notion of rough play. So this is this is movement, right? Where where we're kind of roughhousing our children. So some people will say it's great, it's healthy. Others will say no, it's, you know, it's it's teaching them to to be rough and so forth. What is what is your your theory on that? Like how how much of it or or you know, what what's Yeah. Well, I think this is a great um segue from that, like we we're saying about this um, nervous system response, this internal experience is because we're looking at regulation. So regulation is really big. And hopefully, if you know your child, you know how they regulate, meaning how do they find soothing and comfort and kind of recovery? Um, and where did they, you know, seem 
overwhelmed or overworked. And roughhousing is something in, in my experience that can be really important, but we do need to know our child. So if you have a child that gets easily dysregulated, meaning a contact to the body can feel like a real threat to them, meaning you might think, oh, I barely touched them, but the child senses it, senses it as you know an alarm bell is going off like they're on fire, then rough playing wouldn't feel so good. It wouldn't feel safe. Um, you know, we tend to put these categories out of like a neurotypical child will know those boundaries, body boundaries. Um, but also there are there's that that kind of spectrum of tolerances. So rough play is something that I feel like is really important for children to be able to test boundaries in a safe way to kind of know where their body physically starts and stops. Um, and we need to put parameters around it in terms of helping them navigate you know, how do they stop if it's too much? Uh, what kind of touch feels good to them? Is it really firm and strong where they know, again, where their body is? Or is it light and, and gentle? So really, touch plays into it. Timing, can they, and I think timing is the, I always say this, is the crux of all, you know, interactions. It's like you're either feeling too rushed or you're, you know, slow or you're being passive, you know, these, these words of these timing. But in order to rough play, your child has to anticipate the other person and anticipate timing. So we're, we, you know, I know it seems like such a simple thing and it absolutely, there is room for it to be simple and just allow your child to explore. But if it got challenging, if a parent or an educator was against that rough play, to me, it's not that the rough play is bad. It's more about helping that child understand how to navigate the rough play so that they have a uh, congruence happening, meaning they have like, they've concurred, like two people are in agreement, like we are going to both rough play. It's not like one person dominating the other. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of fun. I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of geeking out about it, but it, there's so many elements to it when you break it down. Right. No, no. And I'm asking because I know that, you know, because movement is so important and, and I was actually seeing the other day, uh, a couple, uh, father and mother, who were who were really kind of it wasn't a really rough play, but they were really kind of swinging their child, and they were talking about like passing a, a little trauma that had happened, right? And I and I found that so fascinating to really be using you know the whole body and 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 really kind of you know shedding whatever had happened through through this movement, and that's why I was wondering about rough play. But to me, it's also a great way to learn um, about your boundaries too. Like how much, how much can you take and, and be be respectful? Um, I did kind of have a flashback when you were talking about like being pinned down and, and tickled. Oh my goodness, it was pure torture. It was pure torture. But there there was nothing I could do because you know it, it was it was stronger than me, but that's, that's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And so learning that, that level of like, what's right for you, but we do want to give these opportunities so we can learn from them. If we, we, you know, avoid all of it, then we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and what's right for one person might be different for the other. And then we also might help the child have a different barometer. Like maybe they are feeling overwhelmed by it, but it actually had really nice intention. Right. And it was actually a great thing to explore. So, you know, helping them through that, um, and um, I had a thought about that when you were mentioning this family working through the trauma with the whole body. 
Yeah, they were they were swinging they were swinging their their children, but you know, kind of in a in a rough way, and then kind of like throwing them onto the bed. I mean, it looked beautiful and full full of love, and and I thought like, wow, how how wonderful to have such aware parents that they're you know helping this young child like process and 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 let you know the body evacuate whatever was was happening. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking about was this congruence. Um, I, I absolutely see a correlation between what's happening inside the body shows up outside. So if you if you see a child that seems overly physical, um, it is uh, interesting to see a parallel to potentially having like a toxicity in the body, um, you know, an autoimmune challenge happening inside. Uh, we see a lot of parallels where what's happening internally, the child presents externally. Um, and if we kind of look at it and say, oh, you know, it makes sense that we're seeking that sameness to make sense of our lives, make sense of our experience. Um, you know, if you think about when you're sick, um, you know, your body that on a cellular level finds a way to regroup and recover. So it kind of seems like sluggish and we lay down and we slow down. There's this parallel happening of like our body really requesting that that recovery right so right or 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 i'm thinking of the first trimester when you're expecting a child your body just wants to do nothing and just rest and 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 there's a purpose to that right because you're 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 in an important phase of of your pregnancy fascinating this is this has been wonderful and i and i have learned so much i really i really appreciate this um me too and, and I, I love to kind of wrap up with a more uh, personal question, if I may. Of course. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you have uh, two children of your own. Uh, what is the age of the eldest? My oldest is 13. 13. Yeah. So if you were to go back uh, 14 years ago when you were expecting, um, any wise words or, uh, yeah, wise words that you would tell yourself knowing all that you know today Mm. it's not mine but i remember meeting a woman along the way who had 10 children oh wow (laughs) and it was quite profound talking to her and we had different uh you know backgrounds and uh just different professions but this concept of like you know and not i'm not a religious person in this way but i am quite spiritual um but just like this too shall pass you know really you know and i and i I have to say i'm proud of proud to say that i did follow this so it's not even looking back and saying i didn't but i'm looking back and saying i appreciate that i did this but every moment there was something every age group that my child my 13 year old went through i feel like i was really present with it um, because it was just a moment in time, and then it passed. And then there was a new experience that happened. Um, and that's been a beautiful gift. It's not perfect. I, I Anyone that's talked to me said, knows I say, you know, as a as a parent, uh, I mess up all the time. I'm human. I, and then I also notice that as like, it's not a mistake. I just get to be genuinely me. Um, but the therapist hat me does really well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm good at what I do. So if I can put my therapist hat on when I'm parenting, I can, you know, kind of know how to take a breath and, and really, you know, survey the situation and proceed. Um, but yeah, just really being present in those moments because that this too shall pass, you know, that, that even when it's really hard, you can, you can grow from it and, 
being that constant learner along the way, not being so hard on ourselves, but really just seeing it as an opportunity to learn. Mm, beautiful. Yes. And, and so true. And, and, and so, so valuable. Uh, thank you for that. A- any, any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Just that I hope that this new or familiar concept of the body um, starts to play into your day, that you um, really honor your own body by resting and taking care of our, our body from nutrition to sleep um, to you know laughing with our friends to really finding opportunities to um, really connect with your child, not only through words, but with your whole mind, body, spirit. Um, and I'm always available for more conversation. I love answering questions. I love being a part of this community. So I hope that there'll be more conversations along the way. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lori, for making the time to be with us today. Thank you for your beautiful questions and your time as well. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone, and you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep-dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash tps dash enroll.
That's TPS for The Parenting School, dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.